So please stop by there and select one that is particularly attractive to you, and uh, I trust it will be an ongoing ministry of encouragement to you. As often as you water it and look at it, just know that uh, at least for one day, people focused appreciation, and uh, we do sincerely thank you for the tremendous asset that you are to our fellowship, and I am persuaded that more than men realize that uh, you provide the heart for society. We pray, pray God's blessing and strength will be your portion, not just today, but every day. So please stop by and take a flower home, just as our way of saying we love you and deeply appreciate you today. A portion of the word from 2 Kings, chapter 4. 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. While you're turning, let me indicate what you already realize, I'm sure, and that is the perspective and viewpoint of God often is so very different from the estimation or evaluation of man. For it is... By appearance, man looks on the outward and makes judgments and prejudgments. But God looks on the heart and he sees the essence of things more important, more precious, more valuable than things that can be seen and assessed by the eyes of man. There's an adjective in the 8th verse of the 4th chapter, and we will be walking verse by verse through this portion of the word. And it fell on the day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned him thither to eat bread thereof. Notice the adjective by which the Holy Spirit describes this individual. There was a great woman there. Now, as men write, they can exaggerate. And they search for adjectives and adverbs to embellish and at times less than the truth is presented. But I want us to realize that when we're dealing with Scripture, it's inspired by the Spirit. And that the evaluation presented to us is one that comes directly from the Lord. And the description of this individual is one under divine inspiration, identified as a great woman. Now, she was declared so before she was a mother. She becomes, in this chapter, a miracle mother. But she was declared and identified by the Lord as a great woman before she was a mother. So if you're not taking a flower home this morning and you're not being honored as a mother, perhaps you're not even married at this point. The principles and precepts that are presented to us from this portion of the Word of God, I believe, are broad enough to encompass you 
and in fact cross the gender barrier and speak to the men also of this congregation so that not any of us would be missed in the sight of the Lord and oh an interesting study sometime if you have a strong concordance can I suggest that you just take the phrase in the sight of the Lord and make a listing of that which he particularly looks to and looks at and it stands in opposition to in the sight of men and you'll agree I'm sure that the more important of the two as far as viewpoints go is that which is in the eyes of the Lord we look at death in Psalm that says precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints what we feel and see and look at as being devastating and tragic God looks upon as being precious because of all that it implies so death sees God sees death from a different perspective than we do especially when it happens to those who are his saints very precious now we would consider gold and silver and diamonds precious God said I consider the death of one of my children precious make that a study in the sight of the Lord so it is before his view this morning that we identify this individual and I want to broaden it to include every individual as being a great person in that city what made her great what was the reason for this description was she an outstanding politician Golda Meir Mrs. Gandhi Margaret Thatcher was she outstanding because of her ability to govern was she outstanding because people had invested confidence in her and she was able to be influential in government affairs I don't see that in the record was it because she was gifted intellectually and she had the capacity to invent or to discover or something that no one else had seen or been able to do before maybe some talent some ability that set her apart to make her worthy of the description of being a great woman I doubt had you traveled as Elisha did often down that road between Carmel and Shunem that you would have noticed this housewife because that's what I see in this text she was a housewife domestic engineer if that title is more important to you a great woman not in the eyes of men men would have walked right by unnoticing but God stopped and put in the record there was a great woman in Shunem now I have 12 points this morning so I would suggest that you take your pencil 
turn your announcement sheet over, list 1 to 12, that way you'll know when I'm through. I'll know when I'm through. There are some ingredients to greatness that I think are identified by the record of this text. Verse 8 says, And it fell on the day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. She constrained him to eat bread. She invited him to lunch. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. Hospitality. It all began with a very simple, practical expression of ministry. Can I demolish a myth this morning that says, gee, great ministry takes place in front of large crowds of people. Great people then are those recognized by their peers as being set apart. And there are times where people are looking for some great ministry. But God identified a great woman in this text. And it all began in a very simple, humble, practical expression of ministry. She fixed lunch for the preacher. And everybody said. And as often as he came by there, she said, Elisha, there's an open door policy here given to hospitality. And as often as he came by, the coffee pot was on. And he was able to be refreshed as they broke bread together. Could I suggest that the very first is a simple, practical, humble, whatever your hand finds to do. Say, oh pastor, I can never be a great Christian. I could never be a great servant of God. I'm housebound, pastor. I'm just a housewife. I've got little ones I've got to care for. I don't even have transportation to get out to go to meetings. I could never do great things for God. This text gives the lie to that. There was a great woman in that city, and it began in her kitchen. It began where she baked bread. It began where she served. God took what she could present and made it more than enough. And you'll see the hand of God begin to move within this precious lady's life, and she began right there at home. She couldn't get out anywhere else. But God identified her as a great person. And we'll see as we go through. I'm persuaded there are some great people in this room in the eyes of God. Now, they're here in disguise. Don't let those dishpan hands fool you. They're incognito. But they are great women. In the eyes of God. Because of the service, the practical service, hospitality. 
spirituality. Verse 9. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God that passeth by us continually. What a tremendous blessing that is. What a tremendous ingredient for greatness to have a spiritual perception of what is of God and what is not of God. Do we need people today who are spiritually minded, who are directed and led by the Spirit of the Lord, who can say, I perceive in my spirit this is holy and this is of God. I believe that in the day we're living more than at any other time in history because the Bible says at the closing of time deception would be on the increase that we need invested in our lives the capacity of spiritual perception to say I perceive this is holy or this is unholy that we have the ability to try the spirits and see if they are of God. I perceive that this is holy and this is of God. Spirituality in the home no less. Not at church, but right there among the dishes and dirty diapers, spirituality. I perceive. You see, Jesus had that about him. He perceived their thoughts and answered them accordingly. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had that capacity when he was at Cornelius' house. And he said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Spiritual perception. That is a tremendous capacity for greatness. Something that the natural world would set aside as being unimportant. But not God. Spirituality always is followed by generosity. Number three, verse 10. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Principle. A spiritual person will be a generous person. Absolutely rule of thumb. You find a spiritual person, you'll find a generous person. It's just like God. God so loved that he gave. God has given us all things that we need for life and godliness. He opens his hand and releases all things. With nothing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly before him. And so when a person perceives what is of God, and they decide to make a place for him in their life and in their home, It'll cost you something to build that room in your life. It'll cost you something. It will take some investment of time and energy and effort. But if you perceive that this is of God, you will make a place for him in your life and a place for him in your home. There's a great woman there who has the good sense to perceive what is of God and what's holy and make a place for it in her life. 
and enter home. That is not without price. That is not without sacrifice. Hallelujah. But it is not without reward. When there is hospitality, the practical personal ministry that is born out of spirituality, which brings generosity, number four is reciprocity. God always reciprocates. When we give to God, what happens? He said, I will give again unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men return to your bosoms. You cannot give and not expect God to reciprocate. When you make a place for the Lord, when you perceive what is of God, what's holy, and you make a place for that in your life, and you're willing to make the sacrifice to accommodate the spiritual nature of your life, God will reciprocate. Look at verse 11 through 13. And it fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned in to the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him, and he, he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken to for the king or to the captain of the hosts? And she answered, I'm content. I've got everything I need. And he said, What then is to be done for her? You see, when you make a place for God, he wants to do something for you. He will, he will inquire. He will search to find a way to reciprocate. What does he say? Draw near to me. And what? I will draw near to you. Mother, can you hear him saying to you this morning, what do you want me to do for you? After all the caring, sharing, giving that you've been doing, I want to do something for you. And you see, what God can do for you is something you can't do for yourself. The dimensions of what God was going to do in this woman's life entered into the realm of the impossible. It was something she couldn't provide for herself. She couldn't do for herself. And the nature of God's blessing in our lives has that character dimension to it. It will be in the form of something beyond your reach, something beyond your power to produce, something beyond your ability to accomplish. God wants to do it supernaturally. What can I do for you that nobody else can do? That's the implication. What can I do for you that your husband can't do? Your family, your friends, your church, nobody can do. What do you need this morning that only God can supply? Do you have it in your heart? That's the implication of the question. Verse 14. And he said, What then is to be done? Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. 
When he had called her, she stood in the door, and he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Preachers shouldn't lie. You're a man of God. I perceived you to be a man of God. Preachers shouldn't fib. Don't lie to me. And that's exactly what she said. Let's look at the rest of verse uh, 15, 16. And he said about this season, according to the, the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaiden. There was a credibility problem. Some things are just too hard to believe. But if God promises them, he can perform them. So, credibility gave way to productivity. Verse 17. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and at that season that Elijah had said to her, according to the time of life. Productivity, fruitfulness. A dimension of fruitfulness that she had not known, nor would she have known, except it started with practical serving of hot rolls and butter to Elisha. Doing what she could do there in the kitchen. Very humble, very practical, very insignificant ministry in the eyes of man. But she perceived what was of God, made a room and a place for it in her life, cost her something. God said, okay, I'm willing to give to you. And when he did, it was in dimensions that she could not have accomplished. Productivity and fruitfulness, a miracle of God in almighty dimensions. Hallelujah. But it all started very simply there in the kitchen. Productivity gave way to tragedy, and often we run into this difficulty in our life. Verse 18 through 20, And when the child was grown, it fell on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. And he said, Carry him to his mother. Now I've underscored in red the last phrase of that verse, I'm not really proud of that response. But the father evidently misjudged the seriousness of the situation. Or he was too busy with the reaping to get involved. And gave instructions. Carry the lad to his mother. Take him home to mother. Let her take care of him. Gentlemen, I'm not so sure that's the scriptural example we should follow. God help us if we get too busy to take time to find out how serious the problem is with our son. And just with the brush of the hand say, take care of it mom. Carry him home to mother. I think there's a biblical order of, a, of authority that puts responsibility upon the man as head of the house to know how serious is this matter and to stop the harvest to care for the home. 
This tragedy gave birth to some urgency. Number eight is urgency. Verse 22, she called to her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men, one of the donkeys, that we may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Woman, are you going to church again? It's not Christmas. It's not Easter. It's not Sunday. And you're going to church? Now look at the verse. That's what it says. Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Urgency. And she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Drive and go forward. Snack, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Don't worry about my comfort. Don't worry about my feelings. There's something that's very urgent. I need to get to God because I've got a serious problem at home with my son. And there's an ingredient for greatness. Oh, thank God for women who know the urgency of the situation and who are willing to say, I'd, I'm not concerned about my comfort. I'm not concerned about my feelings. I am concerned, however, because of the serious nature of the problem. And that urgency that drove her to the man of God. Verse 25, so she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. It came to pass when he saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, and I want these three questions to be burned by the Spirit of God in our hearts this morning. I think we would do well even to take a whole service and a whole sermon on these three questions. But I'm trusting the Holy Spirit in just a moment to impress them upon us. Ask her, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? Do you hear the Holy Spirit asking you personally those questions this morning? Is it well with you? Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Is it well with your husband? Is it well between you and your husband? Is it well with the child? And the implication of the question is, if it isn't, he can make it well. The implication of asking is not just to receive information or perhaps share some sympathy, but there's an almighty God in heaven who inspires those questions, not just to raise our hopes, but to say with the authority of God, he's able to change it and make it well with me. Make it well with my spouse and make it well with my child. How about it? How do you answer those questions of the Spirit this morning? There's a persistency, verse uh, number 9, verse 30. We're skipping down a bit. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. She was determined. 
She was going to stay on her face because the previous verses said she ran and fell at his feet and laid hold of his feet. Gehazi was going to push her away. But he said, no, leave her alone. She has a heavy heart. God has hid it from me. I don't know what's going on, but something terrible has happened. And she lay at his feet and she said, I, as, as God lives, I'm not leaving here until I get an answer. And can I suggest to you this morning that that is a very critical ingredient for greatness. The willingness and determination to intercede until the answer comes. And everybody said, Amen. You see, her son was dead. He needed a miracle. But can I suggest to you that if our sons or daughters do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They also are dead in their trespasses and sins. And they need no less a miracle than this Shunammite woman needed. Because without coming to new life and being born again, they're lost. And they will spend eternity in hell. They need no less a miracle than this woman needed. She wanted to see him restored to physical health. But if your son or daughter or mine do not know Jesus, they need the same dimensions, if, if not more so, to be translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear son. will take a miracle, friend, and mother, it'll take some intercession and staying on your face before God and say, as God lives, I will not move from here until I get the answer that I need from him. I believe that there are people in this room who would not be here had it not been for a praying mother who knew how to intercede and call their name consistently and persistently before the throne of grace until they came to know him whom to know aright is life eternal. And I believe some children will never be saved without prayer. She was persistent. Urgency gave birth to persistency, which gave birth to miraculous ministry. We'll skip down to verse 36. He called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. He called her. And when she was coming to him, he said, Take up thy son. He had gone into the room, prayed for him, wept and walked, and prayed for him again. And he sneezed seven times. And Elisha knew that life had returned to this boy. He called the mother, presented the child alive, restored miraculously. Hallelujah. A great woman. Not in the eyes of the world, you see. They would walk right past this housewife and not even know the ingredients of greatness, hospitality, spirituality, generosity. God reciprocates productivity. And in tragedy, brought an urgency and persistency. Miraculous ministry. But that's not the end of it. 
Turn over just a few chapters in conclusion. Chapter 8. The first six verses give us a little more insight years later. And just follow me and think about the implications of these words. And then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had raised or restored to life, saying, Arise, go thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also be upon the land seven years. Think about that. Years later, God is going to send disciplinary famine upon Israel. Before he does it, he sends the man of God to the little woman whose son he had raised and said, I want to warn you about some coming problems. There's going to be seven years of famine. Get your belongings together and go to a country that has plenty of food and stay there until the famine is over. Because there was a great woman in that city. He had seen something great in that woman. He remembered her. And he warned her by a prophecy of what was coming. So she would be able to escape it. Verse 2, And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seventh year that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and went forth to cry to the king for her house and for her land. And notice the providence of God, the way he works out the details. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha has done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed to her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruit of the field since the day she left the land, even till now. Isn't the Lord wonderful? That he put those people together. Gehazi just happened to be, just happened to be, talking to the king about the miracles that Elisha had done. And he said, the one that sticks in my mind is there at Shunem where he raised this boy that had been dead back to life. Oh, by the way, here she is and here's her son. And she said, I'd like to have my house back. And he said, oh, certainly, here all your land is restored. And in fact, all the produce of that land over the seven years is yours as well. Why? God saw a great woman in that housewife. There was a great woman in the city of Shunem. People would have walked right by her never photographed her for Time Magazine, People's Magazine. But the Lord put her in his book. I'm glad we could look at her picture this morning from God's book. 
Can you be encouraged this morning, mother, housewife, single parent? I'll never be anything for God. Don't you kid yourself in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God. And after all, I think that matters more than in the eyes of man. There's some characteristics of greatness that he sees. And there's seven years of trouble coming. He's given it to us in prophecy. I think he has a place for us to go until that seven years is over. I don't know how that fits your theology, but that fits mine just fine. When that seven years of famine is over, we're coming back and we're going to have restored the whole kingdom with Jesus as the king. Hallelujah! He's coming back for me. There's a prophecy about seven years of trouble that he's cared enough about me to tell me in advance. There's a place that he wants me to go till that storm passes. And then I'm coming back and he's going to restore the land. Hallelujah. Father, I pray your blessing will be upon us today. Help us, Lord, to see for just these brief moments through your eyes because we have natural vision and we see and judge according to the sight of our eyes and the appearances as they are but Lord you see the heart you know what's there you know what Jean sang so beautifully to us in both services I'm available Lord I may not be perfect but I'm available I thank you, Lord, for the spiritual perception that we can have to know what's of God. Oh, God, may there be people like that. May their tribe increase to know what's holy and what's of God and make a room for that in their lives. Whatever cost it takes to put a bed there and a candlestick there, Make a place for the things of God in our home. And out of that flowed the miraculous. It started a chain reaction where God said, Well, in that case, I want to do something for you. And he did something supernatural in giving her a child, and then he did something supernatural in restoring that child. And he continued to care for that woman years and years later. It all started in a very small humble practical ministry help us to realize that 